0: excited to have you here. Dr. Alyssa Berlin, this is such a treat and an honor. And I have to tell you the way that I discovered you is the most random, like of all time. I think I was looking through the advertisement company that I work with and I had searched mom blogs and pregnancy blogs because I felt such at a loss where there were so many pregnancy blogs. I mean, not blogs, podcast. See, this is pregnancy brain Mm -hmm. talking podcast. (laughs) And I, I I couldn't like, I wasn't feeling like I was finding a a proper fit with any of them where I was learning more information. It was more about, you know, about the actual baby when the baby comes. And then I found you and your husband's amazing podcast. And I just was learning so much from all of these incredible celebrities as well, who are so open and honest with their conversation of going through their pregnancy. And what I thought the coolest thing that you did was interviewing them before birth and after birth and, and yeah. what your husband does. It's just, anyways, it was magical. So that's how I discovered. And then I was like, okay, I got to go and Google and do all this. And this is amazing. Uh-huh. So, thank you so much for coming on emotional support. I am so excited to have you um, for those of you who do not know who Dr. Alyssa Berlin is. You are a perinatal psychologist. This is, this is something that's new okay. to me, right? Correct? Okay, this is all yeah. so new to me and I want to like know the right terminology. I'm like, I'm just using therapist. <laughs> now I'm like bringing on specialists and it's just been so magical to to go on this journey. And I just want to know everything about how you got involved. And also I want to thank you for being so involved With maternal mental health, and it's it's something that you know I recently just announced that I'm 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 pregnant. Um, I'm in my third trimester, ready to pop, and I live with bipolar one disorder. And so for me, I actually weaned off my medication about four months before we started to try to have a baby. I was on lamictal. Um, It was something that I had been told ever since 13 years ago when I first got diagnosed with bipolar disorder that I absolutely need to get off my medication. You can't have a baby when you are on the medication. And this was not from one doctor. This was not from two doctors. This was from multiple doctors. Um, And so I just followed suit. And, you know, I, I have had a couple manic episodes. Um, Luckily, I was being monitored by doctors and I have a strong relationship with my husband and my mom where they- were able to take me in at the right times. And I was monitored. Um, But there's so much confusion, and there's so much misinformation. And there's so many, you know, I use the word, this is a podcast, so you can't see, but I'm going to say the word facts in quotes, (laughs) um, because I have been sent so many research articles of this, you know, research has been done, and that, but then when you really look into it, there's no research of what happens 10 to 15 years down the line with the baby, you know? So I think that I just want, I want to bring the experts on to have that conversation, you know? So Dr. Berlin, how did you even get involved in all of this wonderful, wonderful goodness?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, And even before I start, Alessandra, thank you. Thank you for being so open about your journey I mean, you know, we are the maternal mental health stigma um, still lives large. It is still a problem that is global. And and it's so hard because there's so much around pregnancy in particular that's shrouded in cloak and dagger. Yeah. Right. Don't tell anyone until you're three months. Oh, gosh, you're struggling with a mental illness. Um, And and it's hard because if ever there was a time in our life that we need each other. Yeah. Um, and that we need support this is that. And so the more that we can be out there and be talking about our experiences and normalizing, mm-hmm. right? The more permission that we're just giving other women all around. So thank you for for your incredible podcast and sharing your personal story.
0: I really appreciate that because it's been something that would there even be an audience or a group of people that would even want to hear this. And I think that now that I've shared the story and I talk about it with other moms and you know, other people who are going mm-hmm. through it, you learn, wow, it's not just, you don't have to have just a mental illness, right? I mean, so many people and so many women are getting diagnosed halfway into their pregnancy or postpartum depression. Like, it's just something that that is not talked about enough um, and and normalized and made stigma-free, you know, honestly. So I, I just... Tremendously. I just, I really appreciate this, you know... What is kind of the backstory? How did you find such a connection to the perinatal and being wanting to help, you know, women
1: who are pregnant
0: and, and postpartum?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, Elliot and I, my husband and I, um, are actually both East Coasters originally. We live in California now. Uh, but, you know, we're from the East Coast and like many. People who came before us, the graduate the graduate school process is not necessarily kind in letting you stay put. No. And so he and I moved to Georgia, um, you know, for graduate school. And then we moved to Nebraska for the year um, for, you know, my, my pre-doctorate internship before we made our way to California, where we live now, my for my postdoc. Right, right. And so, yeah, so needless to say, we have no family locally. Mm. And you know, segued into having kids on our own. And I feel like again, you know, so many people in the birth space come to it because of a lot of different personal experiences. Right. Um, you know, so we started having kids ourselves and, you know, we had the first one and we could definitely talk about it, I had a lot of the typical postpartum beginning struggles and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, And then it was really after baby number two that I just looked at Elliot and I said, there's got to be more out there. There's got to be more out there besides just like you jump in and you do it. right, Right. And, you know, I remember some of my biggest struggles after having my second, my daughter, was this feeling of I have no help to rely on. I have no family close to rely on. Sure. And how do I pick and choose, right? Right. The baby's napping and the toddler needs to be picked up. Right. What do I do? Right. Right. Um, And so actually at the time, what I did was, is I grabbed my birth doula, who lucky enough is my birth doula for all four babies. So now she's just Anne Sherry. Oh my gosh. So special. (laughs) Oh, I love that. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. And and I grabbed her and I, I went and we did together some extra training on how to prepare for the transition to parenthood. Right. And right. the more I jumped into that, right, the more you recognize what a void there was mm-hmm. and how much we don't talk about it because mm-hmm. we are not a society that talks about prevention. No. So it's like, oh, we're gonna be fine and if I'm not, I'll deal with it then. Right. Well, There's nothing harder than dealing with things in the moment, you know, after having a baby. Um, And then, you know, so I did a lot of that. I I did John Gottman's Bringing Baby Home Training. Um, I read a lot of different books and the research out there. I started my own workshop called The Afterbirth Plan, which we could talk about. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Thank you. And then the more I was in this space, the more I also recognized that for a lot of people having a baby really brings up old traumas. Yes. If if not perhaps even creating some newer traumas. Right. And so in the last five to eight years, I went back and did a lot of training with EMDR, I mm-hmm. moved and reprocessing, Francine Shapiro's approach. So treating trauma mm. and somatic um, experiencing, which is Peter Levine's approach, and even doing some work with, um, you know, Sue Johnson's approach of emo- emotion-focused therapy. Mm. Um, What's emotion-focused because- the owner- therapy? Yeah, Sue Johnson is amazing. Um I I did it more to inform the work that I do with couples. Right. My understanding is that it also does have an application for individuals. Mm -hmm. It's looking at the couple through an attachment lens. Oh, interesting. And so it's not getting caught in the weeds of what we're talking about now, but really understanding like what's underlying these needs and wants. Right. And what's getting in the way of really speaking to each other um, and and connecting. Yeah. Right. You know, attachments is predisposed on the idea that you have that one person that, you know, no matter what has your back. Yep. And if there's not that safety, then it really creates just a lot of struggles. Yeah. uh, Just feeling insecure. And then the different patterns or things that we might do to, you know, quote unquote test someone to continue to. Yeah. And, 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 you know, if this happened, like, would you have my back? Yeah, and what if we do this, and then what happens? What if? Happens the what ifs. So, right, which is, by the way, the hallmark of anxiety. Anxiety talks in what if, and yes, but yes, oh my god, I love that. It's so true. <laughs> what ifing, right? Or yes, butting, you're what ifing. Yeah. Then you know that anxiety just came on the scene. No, it's
0: so true. I love also. I just want to say first and foremost, like how awesome it is that you've included so many different types of modalities into your practice. I think that that's so important where it's not just, you know, it's this way and that's how we do things. And you just move forward because I think that each person, it's not even that I think I know each person is an individual and they all have their own ways of wanting to learn about themselves and wanting to grow with themselves. And I think that that's super important that you have to curate and make it the best practice for them as specifically or as a couple.
1: Yeah. Tremendously. And I think that that's the pitfall that a lot of us get into with parenting where we feel like, we have to be to like one philosophy and sometimes we'll outsource what feels authentic and genuine. And so also I like to kind of pick and choose the best of all different modalities as we create our own method. Right. But Alessandra, I also, I want you to know, I am a big believer that every new baby comes with two new best friends, creativity and flexibility. Oh, so we need to be creative. We need to be flexible. We need to approach things, you know, in a different way than we used to do it. Totally. And oh, I love that. Creativity
0: and flexibility. Yes.
1: That's right. You really have three, three people inside. Yes. <laughs> or your one sweet baby that comes with two friends. It
0: feels like, it certainly feels like there's three babies inside <laughs> right now. I'll tell you that much. The first time around, this is quite an experience and a journey that I was not ready for. I'll say that. Oh, yeah. But it's... But yeah, it's, it's a lot. So, it's so true. And, you know, have you worked with anybody that lives with... I mean, I'm sure you have, but uh, but specifically with bipolar disorder, have you worked with, with moms who were pregnant with bipolar disorder, whether it be bipolar 1 or bipolar 2? Is this something that you were
1: familiar with? Yeah, and it's interesting. I could back up even for a second, right? Because you also talked about, you know, like postpartum depression or yeah. different things. And, and so... You know, wanting to make sure that we're all on the same page in terms of the language and the yeah. right. So, we've really come a long way in the field from just postpartum depression, if you will. Yeah. Right. We now know that postpartum depression is a piece of a much bigger pie. Mm. Um, and now, the correct term that we'll use in the field is perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Right. And so, perinatal, meaning from conception through the first year of a baby's life. Uh-huh. So, you talked about like, how someone might struggle during pregnancy. Well, that is absolutely in the perinatal period. Right. Um, and for a lot of people, what happens specifically in that third trimester can be an indication of what might, you know, happen postpartum. Right, right. And, and you know, mood and anxiety disorders, like we said, you know, depression is just one piece. Right. And now we know that the struggles that, you know, new parents, both moms and dad, right. Just dating and non-just dating, you know, persons have after a baby really run the gamut. And so depression and anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar disorder, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and in rare cases, right. Psychosis. Mm -hmm. Um, So to come back to your question, you know, one of the things that I see most often in practice up and coming is, um, Obsessive compulsive disorder, mm. you know, peri- perinatal obsessive compulsive disorder. I feel like that is on the rise. Really, I work a little bit. Oh yeah. What well, and what would that consist of? Like,
0: sorry to like break up your thought, but but what would no, what please. would that what would that consist of in regards to perinatal? Like, where someone would not be some like would have OCD characteristics, you know, or the obsessive compulsive characteristics beforehand, but when they get pregnant, that's when that happens.
1: So it could be a combination of different things. Um, Definitely, you know, um, mental health struggles that we have before baby
0: um,
1: can continue or be exacerbated Mm -hmm. by pregnancy and postpartum. Um, Or, yeah, for some, it may be something that they haven't struggled with, you know, before, but that does, you know, happen more in the postpartum period. Right. And and you know again, it's it's always important to understand. Like when we talk about an obsessive compulsive disorder, right? OCD is is made up of two different parts. Um, there's the obsession, uh-huh. right? And the obsession oftentimes is is a cognition. It's an intrusive thought, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So everyone has intrusive thoughts at one time in their lives. We've all sat on a plane, if you remember back pre COVID, right? Uh-huh. Back in the day. And you're just like, gosh, what would happen if that hatch just opened right now? And then you're like, ooh, that was a really weird thought. Why did I just think that? Yeah. And then we kind of like quietly go back to like watching our show or reading our book. Sometimes we might look around Did anyone see us have that thought. Right. And we go back to whatever it is that we were doing. Right? So everyone has intrusive thoughts. The hallmark of the obsessive quality is that it's like that thought gets gum stuck to the other side of it. Mm. And we can't quite shake it. Right, right. And the more it's kind of, you know, just sitting there and marinating or building in our head, the more it's creating discomfort and anxiety. Right, right. And usually what we do in an effort to calm or swell that anxiety is we engage in some kind of compulsive behavior. Mm. So a compulsive behavior might be, going and checking the lock. So maybe I get up on the plane and I go and I check that all the hatches are, are securely closed. Yeah. Um, you know, it might be um, constantly asking my partner who's sitting next to me for reassurance. Yeah. Are you sure it's not going to open? You really don't think it's going to open, you know, and it's like that need for honey it's fine, right? right? You're going to be okay. You it doesn't open. Yeah. It's along those lines. That's right. And so it could be something that's an actual behavior. It could be something that's more of a mental reassurance. Mm. And usually what happens is that that compulsion is so reinforcing, that feeling of just like that relief, that like, ah, okay, is so enjoyable that it kind of almost ensures that that next cycle is going to come, right? So that next what if thought comes, that next concerning thought comes. And, and then we engage in this pattern and this cycle. Um, what we find in the perinatal period is that there are two more common obsessive thoughts. Or, or yeah, you know, um, one is a concern of accidentally dropping the baby. Yes. So, you know, maybe, you know, we live by this beautiful outdoor mall and you're in, you know, the um, parking complex and you're, you know, five flights up. And then all of a sudden you look over and you say oh my gosh, what would happen if I just dropped my baby? Yeah, yeah. Right?
0: That, that's um, totally a thing. And I talked to another doctor about this where my my fear is, like, I've had nightmares. And luckily, I've only had it twice. But where I'm pushing the, like, the baby pram down, down the street and then it, like, goes down a mountain. Like, and just keeps going yeah, and I let absolutely. go. You know, and it's like, I never in a million years would think that before. And I'm like, why do I have these dark thoughts? But you're right. It's that that obsessive compulsive thought.
1: That's right. And it's that what if, and it's that fear of either losing control Mm. or, you know, accidentally something happening that is irreversible or that has major consequences. Right. And the other very common intrusive thought, right, and, and, you know, what you described is right there in the mix, the other one that I hear a lot about is a fear of accidentally cutting baby with an eight. What if I'm holding baby and I'm in the kitchen and I'm making dinner and then something happens? Wow. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, what do we do? What's the hallmark of it being OCD versus something else? Sure. Is that the mom, right, or the individual is very bothered by that thought and will go to great lengths to prevent it ever from happening. Right? So. We're concerned about, the, you know, the pram getting away from us. Well, maybe right. we get a special tether, if you will, kind of like they have, like, on a jet ski. Right. Um, right. You know, should it get out of range, you know, all of a sudden, maybe it locks the brakes or it can't go past the two feet, you know, of, right. of the string. Right, right. If I'm worried about knives, I throw out all the knives in the house. And guess what? No knives, no problem.
0: No problem. Right. Problem solved. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or I'll make up an excuse, but you'll never see me carry the baby up a flight of stairs Mm. or down a flight of stairs right now i always recommend right anytime you're having any kind of concerning thought about harming the baby it's worth checking it out right talk to your psychologist talk to your psychiatrist you don't have one call your doula your ob anyone that has been a part of this you know birthing journey with you right um because you know when in doubt check it out is always my motto um but, but again, it's important to recognize, you know, what that constellation looks like. Yeah. And that it is one of the most up and coming things. And we want to address it. We want to talk about it. We want to treat it. We want to help the caregiver come back to being able to enjoy this beautiful new phase of life. Well, I'll tell you what's
0: something interesting that that I've learned, like, in in this whole, you know, nine months now, you know is that I've learned <laughs> that not just me, but for other women as well that I've talked to, there's a fear of talking to doctors about problems, you know? Absolutely. and And I don't yeah. mean like talking to you about it, right? Because you are someone that sure. understands mental health, mental illness. You, you, There would be no judgment from you, right? I'm talking yeah. specifically like an OB, right? So like I go to my doctor and and the first thing that I told him was, by the way, I am I live with bipolar disorder. I've weaned off my Lamictal. I'm not on it anymore. I'm very lucky because my OB has been so cool and so great and wonderful. And like, I absolutely adore him. And he's, you know, been there to support of like, you know, if there's a problem, tell me. I, and if I can't trust you, you know, to my husband, Sturgis, Sturgis, you're my eyes and ears. And I have to trust you yeah. to then speak on her behalf, you know, But there have been moments of complete fear where I'm like, I've had these dark thoughts and I don't want to go in there and tell him that because what if he says, you can't have your baby? You're not trustworthy, you know? And I've and i heard these horror stories, which are not that far off that actually happen of women that, you know, may even still be on their Lamictal or maybe on their medication and they go to the hospital in a manic episode you know, saying, I need help. Can someone please help me? And then the state going, well, I'm going to sign off and we have control over your body and over your baby right now, you know, inside your stomach. So it's this fear of like, how much do you open up and how much do you keep to yourself? And, and, you know, and I think that that's when it's really tough. And that's what I think I'm trying to, you know, share in a message of like, you know, you have to just share with people and we have to, there needs to be some sort of trust system with the medical system and, and the, the, the pregnancy world, you know, where we come together and there is that trust because it's so hard and it's so expensive to find doctors who are psychiatrists and psychologists, if you don't have the proper insurance, you know, what is something that you would recommend to someone, you know, who could not afford therapy, for instance, and was going through this moment and was scared to talk to an OB, like, you know, is there some place that they can go to? You know, maybe that's with with, with you. Maybe you know a program. Like, I just want to, you know, I don't know what's even, what's out
1: there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it is one of the um, most tragic extensions of yeah. the mental health stigma. Mm-hmm. right? You know, because no person, no person should ever struggle when having a baby. Yeah. No person, not no person should ever suffer, right? Obviously we struggle right. all the time. Sure, but, but the but suffering. Shouldn't suffer. That's right. You know, and, and so it, it is really hard. Um, I, I, I know out here in Los Angeles, um, I belong to a task force, Maternal Mental Health Now, that is really aimed at education.
0: Wow, I love right that. because yep. it
1: really comes down to education, educating doctors, educating nurses. You know, Cedar Sinai is a huge hospital by us over here, and you know, me and one of my um, you know colleagues, we went in and we did a training for all of the nursing, wow. labor deliver and delivery, and postpartum nurses. Wow, that's yeah. so cool! Amazing right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, first of all, the nurse is spending a whole lot more time with you, Yeah, right? But the more we can get that information out there, yeah. and the more we can destigmatize and on- on- honestly honor the bravery of women who are saying, hey, I'm having a hard time. I need help because I want to be my best for my baby, Right. right? Yeah. That's not something that we want to vilify. That's something we want to celebrate. Um, and, and, you know, it's something perhaps to even think about when you're picking your OB and it's something that as you're interviewing or looking for your, your obstetrician to ask them how knowledgeable they are, what do they do during pregnancy to help prepare for postpartum? Right. Um, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is that we do so little during pregnancy to prepare for postpartum, but checking with your OB, right? Is that part of your prenatal care? And again, what do they know, what's their stance, what's their approach when it comes to, you know, maternal mental health. Yeah. So I think that that's really important because anyone who's going to be such an intimate, integral part of this journey of being the person who is, you know, gifted the covetous spot of, you know, joining you on this process and, and you know, yeah. helping you to deliver your baby um, is someone that ideally we want to be able to trust. Right. And to be real with right? Yep, yep absolutely. Um, but we also know that that's not always the case. And we know that, you know, like you said, there are often situations, and especially when access to healthcare is, um, is an issue, where perhaps we're not even getting to truly pick our practitioner. Yeah. Um, right? And so if that's the case, um, it, it's really trying to pass the resources in your community. Yeah. Um, are there... You know, there's so many different types of free support groups that want to be there and want to be a part of that. And is there someone that we can connect with that we trust?
0: Yes. And I think... a friend
1: that we trust? Exactly.
0: Even, I was just about to say, even just a friend or, you know, someone that, that you can, that can kind of watch and not watch and monitor you 24 hours a day, but someone that you can go to, to be honest with, if you have those dark and okay. scary thoughts where there's no judgment coming from them and you know that there's no judgment.
1: That's right. And someone who ideally will hold your hand and, you know, kind of like you were talking about of you in Sturgis, like very often it is the husband or the partner, right. you know, that is going to notice like, hey, you're not quite yourself. Right. Something's or off. you seem to be struggling to, yeah, something's off. And oftentimes they are the first person to be able to very gently and softly, hopefully say, Hey, sweetie, like maybe we should together go talk to someone and that we're in this together is huge. And it's important that everyone knows that PMATs, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders are a family issue. It's not a, Oh, you're the one who has a problem or you are the one that's struggling. It's we're in this together. It impacts our family and we're going to address it as a family. What are um, the so things that
0: adaptive. you? Yeah, exactly. And what are some of the things that you would teach the partner, for instance? You know, uh, uh, with with uh, you know, the the mood and anxiety disorder, perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Like, what is something that sure. you would teach, like Sturgis, for instance, or whomever you know, the yeah. partner is. I
1: created the birth plan. Yes. About, right? Oh, yes. Let's and talk let's about talk that about it for a second. You no, know, no, no. Because it ties into exactly what we're talking about right now, because. I'm a big believer in prevention. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in education. I love right? that. Yes. And so yes. you're so awesome. No, I I just, you it's so
0: exciting to me. It's it's just because I I I can't even tell you. Like, I just feel like I've been at such a loss. And so many women that I speak to who are, you know, even my nearest and dearest friends didn't know anything about what yeah. was going on. And they didn't know anything afterwards. And they couldn't even pinpoint, like, oh wow. Is this what you know the the baby blues is? Everyone keeps saying baby yeah. blues, right? And uh, and they're like, oh no, this is real severe anxiety disorder that I have gotten out of nowhere, and I never was that person. So I when I exactly. learn so many things, and I, I hear about prevention, like you know, especially for me, like selfishly, I'll say because with bipolar disorder, there's such a high risk of you create you know getting the the uh, postpartum psychosis. You know, which I've or is that what it's called? Postpartum psychosis. I, I think so, but it's yes, just a manic
1: episode. Which, yeah,
0: yes. And it, I mean, you read these things, and it's so scary. And on a side yeah. note, you know, I've talked about this before, but it's brand new with you. For me, I kept the pregnancy secret up until recently, and I even with friends and family, we kept it really hush hush because you know, miscarriage kind of ran in the family, and a lot of a, a lot, lot of, of issues. That. So we. Did this thing, you know, oh, you don't talk about it for the first three months. Well, for us, it was the first six, seven, eight, nine months. (laughs) Like We didn't talk about it for a long time. Um, And the only comfort that I found in a community and with support was on Reddit, which you think like, oh, God, Reddit is so dangerous. That's so scary. But I'll tell you, when I'm looking up bipolar and pregnant, and I'm trying to find support, and I don't need to just look at, you know, random research of a 20 year old article, who's there? Oh, someone in Wyoming that's talking about being 25 weeks pregnant and living with bipolar one disorder. And that's where I was, you know, and I was like, Oh, I've been there. Like I'm having those feelings, you know? So, so the, the idea of prevention and learning more and, you know, hearing statistics about how high psychosis would be in with particularly my disorder you know, I want to learn as much as I can and I want to be able to share as much as I can because I think it's only right because I didn't know how to find it. So.
1: Yeah, tremendously. And, and, you know, that there's a lot of things we could say about the internet that is far from awesome. Yeah. Right. But there is something very powerful about the ability to connect Yep. You know, with people across the globe, yeah. right? And so, even as I said, you know, the community—you know—that a lot of communities have a lot of free support. Not all, and yeah. for some, it's really hard or it's really scarce. And there's a need to really build up a lot more. Sure, but virtual is, is really another wonderful resource sometimes. And you know, again, an outgrowth of COVID is we've really figured out how to do most things virtually need be. Right. Heck, we're doing our podcast virtually, right? Which right. is amazing. Right. And so it's, it's you know, not limiting ourselves and, and really connecting with the resources wherever they may be available for us. Um, but it's hard. And, and I want you to know, you know, back in the day before COVID, when I talk at a lot of, you know, mommy and me groups, that feeling of not being alone, that feeling of someone else understanding and like, oh, you get it too? Oh, you're struggling with this also? So, it's one of the most healing, cathartic experiences. And it's so funny. And Alessandra, like maybe you and I will come up with a new way yeah. or a new a, a new term for it, right? Because the play on words really brings this idea home. And it's not to suggest that anyone is miserable. But we say all the time that misery loves company. And it's not true. Misery loves miserable company, Absolutely. Right? And again, we're not saying anyone is miserable, but we want someone who gets it, who's in there with us. Just to understand, be- just to be heard, yeah. just to know that we're
0: not the only ones that are going through all of these feelings and these emotions and the even the right. physical things that, that go through your body. You know what I mean? You oh, can go, yeah. You can look on all these apps and it's like, yes, okay, like, I guess this is where I should be at this time, but, you know... you're you're not always exactly should like, you're not always going to be there. You know, I should have had all the laughs and been so happy in my second trimester. That's what they always say. Right. But for me, that was the worst, you know, of all of them for me. So, you know, it's, it's about being able to share that knowledge with other people and being able to just be heard and know that you're not alone in that
1: situation. Tremendously. And I'm going to jump on my soapbox for a second, and then Please. we're going to go back to you in Sturgis, okay? No, I want to hear it And all. that word, <laughs> you're so <stressed laughs> but that word should. You know, it's like every time I hear should, I picture that person with their wagging finger coming at you telling us that you've done it wrong. It's such a judgmental word. Absolutely. And so we want to get away from that, and we want to look at ideas and, you know, general practices or general expectations and then creating space to find ourselves from within. Right. But if we go back to you guys, right. So um, I, one of my missions, one of my missions in the work that I do is to really minimize, if not completely eradicate um, any pregnant or postpartum person, you know, from continuing to say, man, I didn't know, I wish someone would tell you. I wish someone told me, like, I am that person. I want you to know the good, bad, the ugly, the real, everything in between. I want you to be able to come in with real and accurate expectations of what to expect so that it's not that feeling of being caught off guard and like, oh man, I wish someone told me. So I'm looking to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and by putting that information out there, so the workshop that I created, I deal with people during pregnancy. And the first part is exactly what we were talking about. It's accurate expectations, what really happens in this journey to parenthood, so that I can feel prepared. Mm-hmm. Not to say that it's easy, but it's that feeling of, oh right, you know, Dr. Alyssa mentioned it. Right. And yeah. you know what? There's very little we can't handle when we're prepared. Yep.
0: So true. The middle
1: part is you're so awesome. The middle part is all about the relationship between partners. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we are lucky enough to have a partner who's in this journey with us, it's how to really keep that relationship strong and intact. Mm-hmm. Because a huge risk factor of developing a PMAD is conflict between partners. Right? Which has totally oh my gosh.
0: happened to us, like, for sure. You know, yeah. in 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 the whole situation, because this is also the first time that, you know, Sturgis has seen me without medication. He met me when I was yeah. medicated. So for him, this is not only right. a new world of pregnancy, but it's a new world of Saunders without her meds. Like, what is this person, you know? So it's about t- teaching, each, you know, and it's a learning experience, you know?
1: Tremendously. And how can we support each other? How right. can we not personalize what's happening and how can we really show up to be there right. over this journey and oftentimes you know we lose sight of the fact that the other person is going through a journey mm-hmm. and that their journey may look different than ours yeah. right it may not be the thing and you know how do we find that patience and that understanding that we're both experiencing something new in different ways right And creating that space for both of us to be able to figure it out in our own time. Right. And so for the relationship piece, you know, I use the analogy of walking up a down escalator. You put in a little bit of effort, you'll make some headway. You put in more effort, you'll make more headway. But as soon as you stop actively climbing that escalator, it's just going to naturally bring you down. Right. And that's the same with relationships. Put in a little bit of energy. You'll have some closeness. Put in more energy. You'll right. be even closer and jiving. Right. But the second we stop actively investing in that relationship, yeah. it naturally brings us down and far apart. Yeah. And so the, the relationship escalator is set up in a way of what are the things to do to help us connect and stay close and, and you know, stay on that you know, team, sure. you know that team place. And what are the things that are going to break us up or that are the biggest sources of conflict and Mm -hmm, discord? And then the last part, right, all of that was actually a preview to say that the last part is all about education of PMAP. And so ideally, couples do the workshop together and they're both sitting during pregnancy, getting on the same page as I really work towards educating both partners on what is a PMAP. What are the likely symptoms? How is it likely to manifest? Right. What are things to not say? Because even if you'll have the best intentions, they come off a little crunchy and sure. pointed. Sure. And then what are the things that you can say that actually can, you know, um, share and, and express that support and, and the desire to help your partner, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully the, the real soft messages that we're wanting to get across. Um, and, and to me, that is one of the most important things that we can do for couples is that education. Yeah. And I set up the workshop in a way where each of these are you know, split up into smaller modules with exercises and culminating in an afterbirth plan where we talk about all of the different tools and techniques mm. that will help us. And it's all on one page, including, for example, you know, if we are struggling who is the first line of defense that we want to call that we both feel comfortable with? Right. Is it our OB? Is it our doula? Is it, you know, Sally who lives down the block? Right, right. Um, and it's just giving us a chance to think through all of these things before things are so difficult or complicated or, you know, everything's just that much more intense. Well, and I think um, that that's, so that's what happens. What I would <laughs> no,
0: but I think yeah. that that happens. Like, people don't realize... And and it's as, it's as silly as, like, just planning, like, what you put in your hospital bag, right? Like, for me, I'm yeah, someone that's totally. a packer that packs 10 minutes before I got to get the Uber to pick me up. So, for me, mm-hmm. having to pack everything beforehand, even, like, getting baby, you know, technology and tools and strollers and this and that, I, I'm not someone that can plan that far in advance. Like, I've kind of waited last minute. And it's so weird how right. then it becomes so overwhelming, right? And, I, and it's the yeah. same thing with your relationship. It's the same thing with your mental health when you're pregnant, especially because it only lasts nine to 10 months. So it's like you got to plan because it happens really fast overnight. And then I'll tell you, the last, you know, month and a half, you don't move the way that you used to be able to move. You are like, I am like, I huff and puff everywhere I go. You forget things. Like, I've never written down more things in my entire life. But it's true. It's all about the preparation and, like, and, and just, you know, being able to feel like, okay, you know what? Like, I'm confident. And, like, I can say this right now. Like, I'm very confident in where I'm going to be with my, with my birth and labor, because I, I have planned and I have put in the work and, you know, Sturgis and I have seen, you know, a specialist together, which I think was something that I never thought we would have to do, you know, but it's, but it's true because it's not about just us now it's about us when I give birth. And if I possible have to have the, that mood and anxiety disorder that comes through or going back on the limit doll, you know, after I breastfeed or whatever it may be, like it's just being prepared and having those conversations beforehand. So you don't feel that overwhelming stress more than you, than you need to.
1: Tremendously, you know, and it's all the more true when there is, you know, a, a pee bag. But I also want, you know, all of your listeners to know that it's just true across the board that having a baby really does change most things and one of the biggest changes that happens is that you know couples even in 2022 become a lot more traditional yes that could be a real kick in the pants if we're not expecting that and we're not ready for that right you know what does that mean how is that going to impact us you know am I going to be comfortable some of these changes Um, So there's a lot of massive changes, right? That's just to name one. All of that is
0: absolutely so true. And so I love this. And how long have you been doing the afterbirth
1: plan for? That is a great question. I've been doing the workshop for about 12 years. Wow. And the timing was just, you know, very coincidental that, because I've wanted to put it online for a very long time and let it be something self-paced you could do at home, right? Like it's not... It's not fair to ask a pregnant woman to go out at night or, right. you know, during the day if she's not interested, right? To do right. it in the comfort of your home is just so lovely. And so it was actually the December before COVID started, wow. so December 2020, that we put it online. And so now it's a self-paced class that you can do online. You know, with your partner in the convenience of your own home.
0: Oh my God, that's um, fabulous! And then I'm
1: always available to support people, and I'm always available to do sessions to talk about or to personalize, or you know, something came up that they want extra support about. Sure, support around. But yeah,
0: sure. Have you noticed, as you know, as a professional and as a, as a doctor that sees all this, have you noticed a lot of women? um I think you know one of the things when I when I talk to the the editor, I mean the the woman who wrote, um, my people magazine article, you know, a a lot of the things that I was trying to portray and like say as much as I possibly could, which may not have come across a hundred percent, but, but it was there enough, um, is so many women that I have spoken to are very fearful of staying on their medication, um, when they're pregnant or when they, sorry, when they first find out they're pregnant, for me, it was actually something that happened where I, I got off way before I even tried, which, whether that's right or wrong I don't know and it's irrelevant at this point yeah. because it was right for me and I stand by what I did and I yeah. believe what I did you know I was shocked yeah. to know that it was okay to be on your medicine but at the same time I'm kind of like well I did the risk and reward and for me it was it was not worth any sort of a risk like for me to stay on it for for my baby's health right um, but do you find that a lot happens where women want to get off medicine and want to be like clean and they're like, oh, I'm pregnant. Like I want to, because I think you, you're told you can't even take a Pepto-Bismol that, you know, your, your baby will be harmed. If you take Pepto-Bismol, you'll be harmed if you take et like, so is that something that you hear a lot or is that kind of a rare thing?
1: Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's very interesting. Definitely. The old school perspective was take all women, right, or all birthing partners off of any medication. Mm. Um, it's it's changed a lot in the last couple of years. Um, I don't know as much about bipolar. Sure, right, right. You know, really that we were going to talk. Like, I even you know set out to do more of the research, and the reality is that. We just need more research, that we don't have a lot of information out there, right? Um, So generally speaking, when we talk about medication, you know, with pregnancy, postpartum, more of the contemporary perspective is that, you know, we're not deciding between exposure or no exposure, right? Because that feels like a no brainer. Am I gonna expose my baby to medication? or no exposure at all right and so we opted for no exposure right but the reality is and what we know now is that it's not a question of exposure versus no exposure it's a question of type of exposure Hmm. am i going to expose my baby to medication or am i going to expose my baby to an untreated mental illness which we know also has an impact hundred percent yeah Exactly as you were saying, Alessandra, like it has to be a personal decision, right? Between you, um, your doctor, your partner, and it's really what makes sense for you. Right. Um, And then it's, you know, a risk-benefit analysis. And I know that oftentimes what we, and again, I'm not a psychiatrist, it's outside of my purview, but when I work with psychiatrists, you know, oftentimes what I'll hear them say is that they really look to utilize the least therapeutic dosage. What's the least amount they need to get a therapeutic effect. Right. 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 Because the last thing that we would want is to give someone a sub-therapeutic dosage so they're not getting the relief from the symptoms, right? And so now they're being exposed to everything. They're being exposed to this not well-treated mental illness, and they're being exposed to the medication. Yeah. So in general, psychiatrists aim for the least therapeutic dosage, Right. Um, there's few medications that are are more researched than others, and and usually those are a lot of the first line. Um, you know, I do know a lot of psychiatrists that you know that are often remiss mm-hmm. to take a woman off of you know a lot of their different medications because if you have an established history and it works, you know a lot of times their feeling is don't change that, don't right. play with that. Right. Um, but again, definitely reach out to ideally not just your OB, but your psychiatrist. Yeah. And let it be an informed decision together. Make sure that you're talking to someone who is a expert when it comes to maternal mental health psychiatry. Yep. Right. So that you're getting the most up to date, you know, most accurate information. And then we work to make again the decision that's right for us yeah
0: absolutely why do you think that there's so little research with mental health and pregnancy is it because it's you know there's not like a long time that people are pregnant you know for for nine you know nine months is not a long time for you to do research like is it that there it's expensive is it why is it that there's seems to be such a lack of research that's what i'm trying to understand i just don't i don't
1: right And, and i think you know, I think a big problem is, you know, the most sound research that we do, we look to control for as many factors as possible yeah, so that we can have clarity around what it is that we're seeing and what's contributing to the differences that we're seeing, right? And so when we set out to design this really robust study, oftentimes, you know, the um, the group the study will have your control group, and this is the group that's not really getting anything active. And they'll have the group where they're perhaps getting medication to different doses. And again, we want all of this really rich data to be able to compare and understand. Yeah. We're not going to play with pregnant women. Yeah, We're not going to withhold medication from someone who perhaps is wanting it or give them medication that's actually placebo, right? Like we're just not going to experiment right with, with people or pregnant people in that way. And it makes it much harder. So we end up with a lot of case studies. We end up with a lot of anecdotal studies and, and we're definitely making shine, you know, right. interestingly enough, you know, and somewhat outside our purview, but my understanding is, is that they're trying to, more clinically look at, for example, the potential effects of placenta consumption Mm. for one of the first times. So people who decide to ingest, to, to, you know, eat their placenta, capsulated or, you know, in a different form, they're first starting the clinical, the trials, if you will, to see is there an actual, you know, therapeutic benefit. Yeah, and again, I, I'm curious to see what they come up with, but so we're making strides. Wow! But I'm not gonna lie. I'm
0: I I think I'm gonna encapsulate my placenta. So I'm, and
1: I I recommend it.
0: Okay, so <laughs> I okay, so I not I think I am. I actually have someone that's <laughs> doing it. Like, okay, good. Um, no judgment here. Um, but you know, because yeah. I've spoken to a lot of women who live with bipolar disorder who did it. And they swear by yeah. it, you know, and they said, I don't care what the research is. I know what it did to my, myself. And, you know, the, the women that I've spoken to are actually ones that have had births without it and births with it, you know, where they, they've they done both oh, ways. Cool. Um, and so they've noticed the difference. But it's, but it's interesting that they're doing that research. That's fantastic. I love that.
1: It is fantastic. And, um, Thank you, again, right? You know, and Alessandra, we get to bring it full circle because thank you for being brave and for sharing that, that you're doing it. Because it sounds so I woo-woo. And like, yeah,
0: everyone's like, oh my God, really? That's so gross. I'm like, is it? Like, I don't know. It's pill. Who cares? Like, whatever. It's a vitamin. Like, right,
1: it's, it. it's a pill. And, and, and you know what? Also anecdotally, you know, a number of women in my practice have done it. And like you said, anyone, I'm, I'm yet to meet the person who's, encapsulated their placenta that doesn't swear by it. Huh. If anything, I hear women who are like, gosh, I wish I could, I wish I had more pills. Right. And I've even been hearing women who will make a tincture out of part of the placenta and they'll use it for like the first day of preschool or even a more organic way of treating of treating menopause, actually. Oh, wow. Right? <gasps> so super, super cool things. Oh my gosh. And, and I don't care if it's a placebo, right? Yeah, right. It is. We could do a whole other podcast on just that. Yeah. But I don't care if it's a placebo.
0: It works. You know, as long
1: as there's no seemingly adverse consequences, right. then why not? And again, it's outside of my purview sure. to recommend it. I can only share what sure. I know. Oh, no, that's um, what we're here for.
0: Look, I'm not a doctor. You know, I'm not here giving advice and telling people what they should and shouldn't do. Absolutely not. Okay. This is just about for me, like my shared ex- my 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 story, my experience, your story, your experience. And okay. I think that that's what's important. That you know, there's there's nothing more important than someone's story. I think that you can learn more from that than reading a research Indeed. article, you know, because I, it's lived experience. There's something really special about that, yeah. you know? Oh, 7%. Oh, my gosh. Well, I want to, I, I, I could talk to you, I feel like, for hours, but I'm going to ask you my yeah. final question that I ask everyone. Yeah. Dr. Berlin, what is your <laughs> okay. emotional support?
1: Ooh, what is my emotional support? And you know, by the way, I found this adorable sweater that says emotional support sweater. So I will have to send you a link. Oh am going please your send me way. the link. That is so cute. I No one else can see it, but I'm like... Uh, oh my God, this has send me that. That is Alexandria. so cute. Oh my God, I love... And it's actually like my
0: font. That is so... Crazy. I'm telling you,
1: we'll have to somehow show, you know, your listeners because yes. literally handmade for you.
0: Oh my God. It's literally the font of my show. That is so insane. Okay. Send me that. That's link. it. Oh my God. I'm obsessed. It's meant to be. <laughs> yeah, seriously.
1: My emotional support, um, you know, it's interesting. It's changed in the last couple of months pretty dramatically. Wow. Um, I would definitely say it's my partner you know, who very gratefully we celebrated 25 years of marriage oh, this past October. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's, you know, certain moments with my kids, and I definitely think kids are mixed resources. Sometimes <laughs> they drain our resources, but they do a whole lot to give us back. Right. Um. I um, am coming out with a cookbook next year, and that has been a huge that's source it. of support. Wow! And that's my creative outlet. Yeah, that's so important. May twenty twenty three. Yeah. And then, and then we are proud owners of of a sweet little Aussie Doodle. I guess he's not so little, but but oh. we got a dog in September, oh. and I'm telling you, I could just sit there and stroke him and snuggle him and just in love. It's a game changer. Animals are game changers. It's unbelievable. And I really got it for a daughter of mine who needed some, like, you know, sensory assistance. And now it's like, no, 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 I get Jake now, you know. Mine. She's just a yum, seriously.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, I absolutely love and adore that. And I am so happy that I have met you and that we are doing this. And I can't wait. We're going to have to do... After I give birth, then we're going to do a follow-up. Just I really appreciate all the conversations and and sharing. And I'm going to put a link to the after-birth plan for everyone so they can come and find it and all the information on you.